to let the consumers know the beer they are drinking was produced 100% by renewable energy. In addition, over the last 30 years, Bud has donated 79 million cans or 7.3 million gallons of water to victims affected by natural disasters. Should we eliminate Bud just because they produce a product which people elect to drink? I've been begged to think that if, if any company has lasted over 25 years and we went back in history, there's probably to some degree something naughty that has happened. That's just the reality of it, unfortunately, right? So you're weighing this balance situation. So what do you do? So it's a very, very difficult thing to construct because it really is based on your own perspective. Um, so then the question becomes, what should you do? Well, Tim and I have some thoughts. Welcome to Critical Thinking Required, hosted by LBW. This podcast is intended for free thinkers, entrepreneurs, and knowledge seekers. Join us as we discuss relevant financial topics, explore with guests their financial journeys, and engage with experts in industries such as space, media and entertainment, real estate, and many more. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Welcome to Critical Thinking Required. You're with your hosts, myself, Tim Bickmore, and my colleague, Dan Weiss. And today, we got our podcast topic from one of our team members, Kennedy Briggs. In our team meeting, she asked me about SRI, or Socially Responsible Investing. So we had a conversation about it. She's learning about it in her uh, licensure exam. And we, she said, hey, have you guys talked about this? And I was like, you know, we blogged about it, but we actually haven't podcasted about it. So we should do it. So Dan and I, Dan and I are here today to talk about socially responsible, socially responsible investing. Before we get there, as always, if you like our content, please like, share, and subscribe. We would really appreciate it. Again, Dan, let's start us off. Okay. I think we have quite a bit to say on this subject, but we really haven't talked about it in recent months, at least. So yeah. um, we're going to reference that uh, that blog that Tim mentions, which could be found on our website, other channels too. But that was uh, May, I think, of 2018. And I think there's a couple pieces of that we'll probably just read because frankly, I think we, we wrote that uh, better than what we are kind That's of winging right now, right? Um, so, uh, but just a couple thoughts that I think we kind of want to want to go through. Um, to start, we'll, we'll in a second here define what socially responsible investing is. These terms get tossed around a little bit. Uh, know that this is not a new concept by any means whatsoever. Uh, the, our blog actually refers to these kind of topics showing up in biblical times, right? And in, in, uh, in Jewish text for, for centuries, it's, it has spoken about the importance of investing in an ethical manner. Uh, today, as we sit here, there's 550 ESG mutual funds, according to CNN, that exist. We are seeing a lot of growth. It is being pushed by our industry quite a bit. Unfortunately, that's not always for altruistic reasons. And so, uh, hence, we want to speak about it from that fact. Know this too, from a conceptual standpoint, we love the idea, this idea. From a conceptual standpoint, we love this idea. From a practice standpoint, eh, not our favorite. We got some issues. So, we're going to talk about what that looks like a little bit. But uh, even in modern practice, uh, since the 1960s, we've seen a, a push towards impact investing. But I'd say the last probably 10 years, it's really taken off from a marketability standpoint. So let's start with that first thought. What is social, social responsible investing, SRI? 
So SRI is a broad category that Dan mentioned. So Dan mentioned a couple of acronyms. He mentioned so SRI or social socially responsible investing or impact investing, or now what's being really promoted is what's called ESG or environmental social governance investing, which is more criteria that allow you to screen for certain companies. So for example, we'll use ESG as some criteria. So within our blog, right, you have some ESG where you have, so social, some of those impacts may be uh, workplace safety, you have labor retentions, you have workplace benefits, diversity and inclusion, um, community development, human rights, uh, on the corporate governance side, you could have things like executive compensation, board advisory, uh, how the board is audited. You could also have on the environmental side, things like green building or smart growth, climate change or carbon uh, consciousness. So how are you, re you know, obviously being appropriate with the environment, uh, pollution and toxins. So are you polluting the environment? Are you actually reducing toxins into the environment? And then also there's one that water use and conservation. So those are different criteria that fall under each ESG category. And then what investors try to do is create rankings around those criteria and rank companies to say, who is doing the best in general for all three categories, which then they say they have an high ESG score, which means they're being very impactful or being socially responsible. And so then they then promote that to, for example, retail investors to say, hey, you should buy into these companies because they are doing good things for the world. Again, or not even hypothetically, but theoretically, this sounds like a very awesome opportunity. Of course, Dan and I would love to promote the world, climate change, making sure people are taken care of appropriately. And also that boards are, you know, the governance is run appropriately. You've seen a lot of poor governance over the years. Enron is a really good example, really had poor governance. Um, and there were some big issues that happened with that specific company. So that's really what people are focusing on. And then they're packaging that, that idea and then investing within um, companies that have good ESG scores and then selling that packaged mutual fund ETF to retail and or institutional investors like ourselves. So SRI is a big category. Then you can find and break it down to the ESG categories and then the criteria that fit underneath all of that. In layman's terms, it's ethical investing, right? That's really a good way to kind of simplify the concept. And from a, an investment standpoint, uh, just, just popped in my head as Tim was talking here too, it is a concern from a construction standpoint, because this could mean that you have entire industries, entire sectors that are being excluded, uh, not being looked at the merits of those entities. There is also a responsibility. It's not the only responsibility, but there is a responsibility for these businesses to caretake for their shareholder needs and, and turn a profit. Um, so you also, I, well, we've seen, again, this is our opinion, but we have flat out heard wholesalers pitching our firm come in and tell us that they're doing this because they just simply want to be competitive. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, we've also heard people saying, yeah, it also gives an excuse to perform worse because that's not what the major objective is. So there are some concerns for sure about a structure standpoint. Then there, of course, which we will give some fun examples, one coming right out of out of the writing, one coming out of a real life experience that I'll, I'll give uh, that we refer to all the time is, uh, is what classifies, what defines, what entities should be in this scenario and, and what not. I'll give you a quick example before tossing it to Tim, who's got a couple of things he wants to say about it. And then I, I've got a story to tell. So I always got a story to tell. So uh, 
I had pulled this off um, this morning after we talked about doing this. So uh, the iShares MSCI um, 400 social index has companies, social EFT, I'm sorry, which it does say social EFT, um, has entities like McDonald's in it, which we'll, we'll come back to that, right? McDonald's has had a lot of issues with labor law practices, has companies like ConocoPhillips, you know, oil inside of it, has Occidental inside of it. So again, there is no standard holy grail as to who defines what is a socially responsible uh, entity to be here, what is an ESG. It is up to whatever the, uh, the I don't know what you'd call it, the rating entity wants, there's several of them, wants to actually put into play. So I'll pass back to you, Tim. Yeah, I think what Dan is, is explaining as well is depends on what you feel is um, ethical or uh, what your value system is when it comes to ethical investing. A big one we hear a lot, uh, and as, as of late, uh, is gun control. Um, so it's like, hey, I don't want, you know, we've had clients say, I don't want any entities that own or, or participate within uh, selling of guns. Understand that, that value base. But what sometimes is very difficult is you could have something like Walmart, Dick's Sporting Goods, who is a very large retailer and a very large retailer of firearms that you would then exclude from your portfolio. But you may love those companies for a couple di way different reasons, but they happen to have that business unit within their company at, as large. So it gets really difficult to start selecting companies and taking things in or out, depending on how what their value system is or what they are doing as a company. Uh, a really good example that I'm actually gonna read off our blog, uh, one that we really liked was Clorox. So this was written back in 2018. So he said, for example, earlier this year, Barron, Barron's Magazine ranked the top 100 most sustainable companies domiciled in the U.S. and coming in at number nine was Clorox. Yes, the company whose main product is bleach was in the top 10 of the most sustainable companies. Now, each company was scored on five different categories, shareholders, employees, customers, planet, and community. And Clorox scored well in each category. But does their impact in these categories outweigh the use of bleach and its potential negative effects? Here's another one. Furthermore, one large, um, one large ask from investors is to exclude companies which produce goods such as tobacco, alcohol, or distribute and or manufacture firearms. This makes sense as these products can produce harm to the consumer and potentially to the public. This effect is called a negative externality meaning companies who produce this type of product would not be allowed in a portfolio strictly due to the product they produce, even if they are providing a possible impact in other areas, positive impact in other areas. As an example of a company producing such products who provide positive impacts elsewhere, Anheuser-Busch InBev, or BUD, recently announced that they, they, were, they will be labeling their product with a picture of a battery and the phrase 100% to let the consumers know the beer they are drinking was produced 100% by renewable energy. In addition, over the last 30 years, Bud has donated 79 million cans or 7.3 million gallons of water to victims affected by natural disasters. Should we eliminate Bud just because they produce a product which people elect to drink? So that is the big question, pro-alcohol or not pro-alcohol? It's a question is that the company is doing some very good things and trying to be as renewable and as conscious as possible.
but because they do sell a drink that some people's value systems don't agree with, does that make them not an, a, a good company or, or a company that you would may or may not want to own? If you then start looking at this, and let's say that, and Dan has an example of this, you're with a group of investors that maybe are investing in a foundation or, or for a, a group's money, it then gets hard where each individual may have different value systems to then try to apply it to a portfolio at large. So it gets really, really hairy on the execution part of this. Now, the one thing I'll add before I let Dan jump back in and talk about his experience with a group of investors is that there is new technology, what's called direct indexing, where you have the ability to have an indexed portfolio, but instead of buying an ETF, you can actually go in and select those indexed securities and own the securities outright. So advisors like ourselves have access to this technology where they will then start promoting that they can carve in and out of the index of these companies. So for example, firearms, Walmart, I don't want all Walmart as part of the S&P. I'm going to strip that out, which is fine. You can do that. The technology has now come where you can be that uh, direct with it. Uh, however, if you start stripping away these companies, you also have to recognize that you are now losing this idea of indexation. So there is a con to the ability to start removing securities from an index. You are now becoming an active investor, not a passive investor. Um, I just wanted to make that comment there. I'm glad you did. It, and this is, here's one example of many conversations that we have, but one that I think we've used um, from an educational standpoint a number of times. So as many of the viewers know, the people here at LBW try to give as liberally as we can to a number of communities. We think that's very important. We're going to, you know, spoiler, we're going to come back to that here at the end of this. But um, uh, one of which was a synagogue that we did some pro bono work for, for a number of years. And that started with some conversations with the group of their investment committee on how they wanted to create a fund um, to support some of their future efforts. Fantastic, great idea to do, very important. It's important to sustain that cause and so on. So we were happy to help. So they wanted a fund that was consisting of entities that were socially responsible and they wanted that custom drafted. Sure. Here's how that conversation played out. In that conversation, you've got five, six people, five, six people with different experiences, different views, and, and hold different perspectives on particular entities, right or wrong, just what it is. So first of all, you have a conversation about the fund idea. Here's the problem with the fund idea, like Tim, like Tim has mentioned too, is you don't know what that fund owns at all times. They might be a fund that says social in the name and own oil. And maybe for some people, it's not a problem. For others, maybe it is. So right off the bat, if you really, in our opinion, want to create something that you feel it's got to be unique to you, you feel it's socially responsible according to your perspective on what that means, the only way we feel to really do that then is to create a fund that has only individual securities in it, right? Or individual positions, entities, whatever you want to call it. Or this direct indexing. Approach. Or this direct indexing approach, right. So you, right off the bat, though, that limits most of what we actually see when it comes to this concept as it sits today and as it sits then when talking to the synagogue. So in that room, we started talking about what might be consisting in different fund structures or individual entities. And so we asked, you know, what, how does everybody here feel about owning a company like Halliburton? Nobody put their hand up in favor. Okay. How about a company like Walt Disney? 
most actually did not put their hand up because in that community, it was pretty well known that, that Disney has been, a, in the past at least, a very anti-Semitic organization. Same with Ford, which was the next name that got, I think, thrown out there and so on. Then we got to Walmart. Walmart's an interesting one. Everybody was like, no, on Walmart because, again, labor practices may be questionable, uh, definitely appears to be unfair to women in that situation. They sell things like firearms, among other things. One person said, I'm fine with Walmart. Why? Because they're the second largest, at least at that time, probably still, second largest employer in the, in the country outside of the government. Second of all, right, they also provide a lot of products at a low cost that people can't afford. So it's not all bad. I've been begged to think that if, if any company has lasted over 25 years and we went back in history, there's probably to some degree something naughty that has happened. That's just the reality of it, unfortunately, right? So you're weighing this balance situation. So what do you do? So it's a very, very difficult thing to construct because it really is based on your own perspective. And so it's hard, especially in a group setting like that, to, we feel to actually draft up something. Um, so then the question becomes, what should you do? Well, Tim and I have some thoughts. We have some thoughts that are probably quite identical on this, but do you want to start kicking that off? And I'm happy to fill in other things we'll yes. think as one here. Yeah, I, so as Kennedy asked a question and, and, and the conversation that we had is, and this is, I guess, my personal opinion, and Dan probably has a very similar personal opinion, is I'm very much more if you want to be more SRI driven or ESG driven to be impactful with your money and or your time. I think you have to go on the local level. I think you have more control, you have more say, you have more impact on the local level. So for example, buying local, local stores, restaurants, things like that. Very helpful, um, very intriguing. You can also understand how those local restaurants, their value systems, so you can support them depending if you like it or don't like it. Um, you also can get involved a lot more with your time. You can then be a part of a board. You can be part of an organization that's supporting the community as a large and I think that the dollar and time return is a lot greater and more impactful than trying to take your money and go on the uh, more macro scale. So again, trying to invest it all. So if you're thinking about it from like a diversification standpoint of portfolio, you could say, hey, all of my funds or all of my money or all my impact, and when I call for my SRI impact is going towards my donations, is going towards my giving of time, is going towards this. And then my other diversification asset allocation is also participating in the macro picture at large. So I, I'm just a big believer that you can do a lot more um, at your local or even state level, I guess, to a certain degree than trying to do it on a, on a mass scale because the execution of that is just a lot easier and to understand what's really happening and really know the nuance to those specific organizations is also more known where like dan was mentioning with walmart or if you're looking at these big corporations i mean amazon we haven't you know company culture is very different there um you know they have some really positive things some negative things depends on how you kind of view that it's it's really hard to know amazon unless you work for amazon Whereas if you go into your local restaurant, you probably know the owner, you probably understand what's going on, what their views are. And so now you really are aligning yourself with your value-based system compared to what you're spending your money on and or donating your, your time towards. Yeah, is Amazon socially responsible? I mean, they, they make a lot of things in life easier. They also put a lot of mom and pa businesses out of business. And they are going, I think, I think it's by 2025. I don't know the actual stat on it, but their goal is to go completely electric. 
with all their fleet vehicles and everything. That, I mean, that's their goal. I don't know if they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, they also have huge data centers, which takes up a lot of energy. I mean, there you could, you know, you could really dive deep. And, we can, we can, we could do that all day. Is, yeah. is Tesla socially responsible? It's electronic cars, but they're the batteries. batteries are, yeah. Batteries aren't the greatest. It's primarily coal creating that battery. So for better or for worse, and the mining is very detrimental to yeah. the environment. So keep throwing at us. We're happy to go all day and, and take the, uh, the pro and con on that. But I, I mean, we all share Tim's thoughts on it. We want people to give charity is very important. Uh, so it's, we just rather, we'd rather see people in our opinion, worry about the investment side without having that distraction and then turning around and focusing what they can fund wise on giving back to people, to communities, to, to causes they feel that are important and making their impact that way. Tim said earlier, it's a more focused, controlled way to, to really make a social impact on top of that, one that you can be a part of, one that you can see. And, uh, and, I'll, and I'll say this before we go into close, um, that we speak about this as we give into communities, both personally and professionally, that it's not just about the money. So that, frankly, it's great that people want to use funds and give the money. But if you really want to make an impact, it's really about your money, your efforts, and your time. All of those are needed if you really care about those causes. would rather see people make an earning so they have time to focus on actually putting all of that together. Yeah. I don't know. Any final thoughts for close? I feel like we kind of almost just did that. Yeah. I, I feel like actually I have one final thought on my on the closing is that ESG in itself and the criteria is not a bad way to look at a company. But I think that if you're going to invest in general, you should be looking at these categories regardless. If somebody, if a company, so for example, Nathaniel will talk about how he goes in and looks at companies' glass door reviews to see what the management's like, to see what people are saying about the company. And what he's trying to figure out is how good is the leadership. And if you have good leadership, you typically have high employer retention or high employee satisfaction, which is a good criteria on the ESG score from a governance perspective. Also potentially on the social um, you could also then see diversity within that or diversity and inclusion. So overall, if you are evaluating companies on, from a security analysis standpoint, the qualitative metrics, those should be looked at, right? That's something that really should be considered. Even if you are, for example, an oil company, how are you producing that oil? Are you getting fines because you're going against the regulations and the rules? Well, that company might be under fire in general or have a regulatory risk that you may not want to invest in general, regardless of your feeling about fossil fuels. So ESG is a, is a good criteria when investing, but at the same time, to package ESG as a marketing tool to sell it to retail and or institutional investors is where it fundamentally for us breaks down. So it's the concept is wonderful and it's great, but the execution of said concept and the understanding of said concept is where it becomes to, or where we want to at least educate people on so they can understand the nuance behind what this means. Because right off the get-go, it sounds great. Again, Kennedy came to me and was like, Tim, this sounds awesome. She's very socially responsible. She's like, this sounds great. How can I do that? And then we started talking about it. She's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I guess it makes a lot of sense. But people don't get that second level of understanding because they just see, you know, oh, this is socially responsible. Okay. We should probably take a deeper dive. Uh, as always, well said, Tim. And one thing that I thought of when, as you were talking, and I'll add two marks to just our closing piece here too, is that uh, happy, happy, secure, 
safe feeling team members at work does add to productivity. So it's not, these do go hand in hand, right? Good environments with great leadership is good for the business, which is good for the shareholders. And the last thing I'll, I'll mention, I think, is that um, from a financial standpoint, it's really critical for you to focus on making yourself good and good standing and taking care of in order to help other people. We want people to help other people and use that money because money doesn't mean anything if it's not bringing you a higher quality of life and a higher quality of life of those that you care around you. But in order to do that, you've got to think about how do I get on good secure ground so that you're good so that you can go help others. So keep, keep that in mind as you think about what makes sense from a fit. I think that's all we got. I'm good. Okay. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in today. We always appreciate you doing so until next time. Take care. Thank you for taking the time to start your journey of thinking differently and listening to LBW talk about stuff they love. Until next time. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual on any specific security, on any specific broker-dealer or custodian. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry to determine which investments broker-dealer, or custodian may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinion of Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC. Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management LLC is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management LLC and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management LLC unless a client service agreement is in place.